0: For January 17th, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 707. Her skill wasn't being nice. Her skill was being funny. Hey, it's overthinking it where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve the overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. Never happier when we are, uh, coming together to talk about the things we enjoy. We like them better, uh, when we hang out and talk about them. And that's been, that's been true for, for decades. It's been true for, you know, the overthinkers. I, I think one of the secret things that have made, uh, the site and the podcast, you know, it, what, wh- whatever definition of, of successful you're willing to to allow us one of the ingredients that has gone into that, that, uh, success is the fact that we are friends and, uh, Pete, uh, Fenzel, who is with me in our, one of our story, two handers. I I just want to say, Pete, thank you for being a friend.
1: Oh, thanks, Matt. I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, I want to just say that, you know, as much as it can seem frustrating sometimes to be making a podcast, you know, forever and ever, um, and uh, and not really knowing what's going to happen in the future and kind of looking at what we're doing and, and wondering if we're just treading water. Um, I want to say you're going to make it after all, man, it's going to throw your hat in the air.
0: Right. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad. I'm so glad to, uh. Nobody so, knows
1: the pertinence of my reference. It's way outdated at this point. It's, it's yeah,
0: it's outdated, but, but people are going to come people are going to, to come to understand it when they understand the, uh, the plan of, of what we're doing. You know, we, uh, like, um, I think like a lot of television networks, uh, we're planning something for the, uh, for the, what, centenary. Is that the, is that the right word, Pete?
1: Uh, centennial centenary i think centenary makes sense or of
0: yeah. uh you know of betty white's birth birth what her what uh would have been her um
1: i just uh, call it her willard scott's day but that's way outdated <laughs> at this
0: point <laughs> uh her what would have been her 100th birthday now now uh since she passed um i would say she sadly passed but i you know she lived a good long life she really got a you know she really got a. Uh, a lot of wax in and gave a lot of people a lot of joy. And so I, I, it's hard to be sad about, about, uh, someone who had a good life, but the, the, um, sad for us that we don't have her around anymore. And, and it is now the 100th anniversary of her birth. And so we changed our, our plan a little bit to, you know, to commemorate her, uh, memory rather than, you know, to, to commemorate her <laughs> in person. And I, I, you know, we had plans. Uh, she was going to come over here to, uh, to the OTI dome. Work. I record the. Um, oh yeah, we,
1: we had the exclusive. We were yeah. the ones she was going to come talk to. <laughs> we're heartbroken. We put the whole, we put everything
0: on this. We mortgaged our, our house. <laughs> the, the, my retirement is cashed out entirely. I, I made
1: I I made my face into an NFT that I sold to some some strange tech person who now owns me uh, and my likeness and is going to use it to walk around places. And that money was supposed to go to Betty White
0: coming on the podcast. That's uh. like, Oh my goodness! Yeah, I, I I made an NFT, Pete, too, and then when people bought it, I just uh, I stole all the money and uh, and went away and deleted my Twitter account. I think I'm doing Web three right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I, that's the how I did it. Important thing is that
1: you do it third. That's the important thing. <laughs> the
0: uh, so you know let's let's talk Betty White. I'm glad I'm glad to have Pete here here to do it. But before we do, um, I I want to mention the other the other you know thing to in the United States anyway. I know we have internet. Uh, we have listeners all over the world in, in the United States. Uh, the day this podcast comes out is a holiday, uh, a bank holiday and federal holiday commemorating uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And we... Um, you know, to, to just to, to nod to that, uh, one thing you might wish to do is to listen to our recording of Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail, which we made in, in 2020 as a, you know, typically overthought, um, you know, I don't know, trying to do some kind of thoughtful or, or service oriented response to the, to the unrest that was, um, You know, happening at, at that time. And I listened to it today, Pete. I actually listened to our recording of the, uh, of Letter from a Birmingham Jail.
1: How were we? Were we good? I, mean,
0: I don't know what good is under these. I, I feel like we created a, a us, Matt? We, we, yeah, exactly. No, I feel like we created a good, uh, our audiobook of this, uh, of this particular piece of writing, which is like listening to it again is, is a magnificent piece of writing. And I guess the best thing that can be said for us is that we got out of the way and, uh, let the, you know, let the, let the writing shine through. I also, I, I listened to the kind of the five minute intro that we put on the beginning explaining the project and it was so clear how um uh not not even upset kind of shocked <laughs> you know we we felt at the time facing everything uh that was happening in in the united states at at that moment but um you know whether whether or not you want to listen to that part uh the uh the recitation of letter from a birmingham jail i'll put in as a link in the show notes and it's it's uh, that piece of writing is well worth your time on any day but uh on no day more so than than martin luther king day so um you know i don't know uh pete were you a a big betty white aficionado or were you a like a big golden girls person uh before you know before we started preparing for this podcast
1: I wouldn't say so. I mean, I love Hmm. the Golden Girls, don't get me wrong, but I haven't watched all of it. And despite the fact that I live with Balinky, who is a big Golden Girls fan and was, I believe, DVRing every episode of it while we were living together. Right. And so there was the opportunity to watch lots of Golden Girls, which I no doubt did. But it's hard to tell between Golden Girls, Golden Palace, all of the seasons. Hard to tell exactly how much Golden Girls I've watched in my life. I I went into this with a fondness. Um, One of my suggestions for this podcast was that we would all watch Lake Placid. Which is my favorite Betty White piece, which is the uh, crocodile themed h- horror movie with Sheriff Bill Pullman huh. and-, and Betty White as an eccentric lake dweller who may know something about the crocodile attacks happening on the shores of her placid lake, <laughs> um, right? Which is just one of the great, one of the great kind of against type castings. Uh, it, that uh, and, and ironic metacastings that I've seen. But but no, I mean, I, I didn't really know much of what Betty White had done prior to doing research for this podcast. And I feel like I've found out a lot more and learned a lot more. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people tend to do that when somebody passes who has a significant body of work, go back and look at what they did. And, you know, oh, you like Sinatra for my way. Now you own six Sinatra albums or you know, I mean, that's what happened to me when Sinatra died is I I got the Entertainment Weekly commemorating Sinatra. I went out to Tower Records. I bought a bunch of Sinatra CDs off of the ranked list. Right. And I got into it. And uh, uh, I did not I did not buy any commemorative magazines yet because I have not left my house um, due to uh, Captain Omicron and whatnot. But uh, but yeah, but if I did, I would. But I have gone through and li- watched in preparation for this, a catalog spanning Betty White's career—more of a sample. It's more of a flight. It's a Betty White flight, is what. It, that's not a. Don't say that. That's not a good. That's not a good term. Um, but you know what I mean. Like a like a tasting, a tasting menu uh-huh. of, of Betty White's work at various points in her career. And I feel like I have a new appreciation for her comedic style and her Really, her 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 career with it with a sort of capital C. You know what what she did as an actress over the course of time that she was doing it, which was a really long time uh, where she was pretty consistently very much on top of the game and her game. So uh, I feel like I learned a lot. Were you a big Betty White aficionado? I mean, the big Betty White aficionados are pretty big. Uh, yeah. I think it's a, it's one of those things where it's one thing to sign up for like a Dragon Ball Fighter Z tournament. And it's another thing to sign up for a street fighter tournament. Like, uh. like what, what league are you in here in terms of being a Betty? If you were a Ruma McClanahan fan, well, I bet you those fans are very enthusiastic too, but probably a smaller, uh, a smaller conference room at the Marriott uh, that everybody's collecting in, with their K95 masks for um, than a, the Betty White fans. Yeah, B, I don't know a
0: B Arthur fan also. You know, probably. Yeah, uh, though, though, you know, I don't know. She's or an, and an Estelle Getty fan also. What's I mean? Those are fans of Stop Her, My mom will shoot, maybe, or the.
1: Yeah, just didn't sort you, of sassiness. Didn't she sassy. play
0: Stallone's mom and stop her? My mom will shoot. I believe you. Uh. I don't think you're lying. To me. <laughs> I'm going to have to fact, fact, <laughs> fact check myself. You know, I, I will, I will tell you my, uh, in, in the way that the Golden Girls, like that was one of, of our, our friend Matthew Belinki's childhood sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Um, sometime overthinker Matthew Balinky is, uh, is a Stan. Stan, a Golden Girls stan for sure and knows like a, a great deal of, about it. And actually did she he wrote one of our Eurovision videos uh as just a series of references to jokes from the Golden Girls uh because the character the or because the singer of uh the particular Eurovision song that we were reviewing was named Blanche. And that earned us the ire of every European who said we don't care about the Golden Girls. That's an American <laughs> television show. you purport (laughs) purport to be talking about the eurovision song contest kindly in the future make your your videos about that and um we uh yeah we had um so you know uh, i'm just
1: glad that paul mccartney and wings didn't do a song
0: (laughs) (laughs) that so we uh uh we you know, I, that wasn't one of my childhood sitcoms. Um, mm-hmm. but we, we've been watching it. Christina and I have been watching it a lot in the last, in, d- during this championship season. It has been one of, it has been among our television comfort food, mm-hmm. um, a, a little bit. And I, I have been surprised sort of how warmly I've come to feel, uh, about it and how, you know, I don't know how, how deeply affecting I find the, the very sincere, you know, expressions of friendship and, and sort of support, uh, in it, which are, I mean, which are sort of the manifest topic of one of the episodes that we watched for, um, You know, for our prep for this, but, but also like sort of run through the, it's a thread that runs through the show of like, you know, good people being good to one another. And Mm -hmm. that's, uh, I don't know, it it seems, and, and that's a weird thing to say because they're so cutting in their jokes all all the time. And, and yet the, the sort of the sense that you have, right, is not that like, these are people who despise one another. You have the sense truly that, that these are people who, who love one another. And that's I mean, that's a very interesting dynamic, right? Because like they are not less cutting than married with children, maybe, right. <laughs> but um they they it's a. Completely different vibe, you know? And I wonder if that's just all, uh, maybe that's part of the music. Maybe that's uh, the soundtrack has something to do with that. Maybe it's the way the stories wrap up, you know, how at the third act, you know, all is one, uh, again, um, and one or four, four are one. There, <laughs> there, there can only be four mm-hmm. and, uh, that, but you know, I'll, I'll say, Pete, like the, the phenomenon of, um, the celebrity magazine. Now I experience through YouTube because it it does seem like when someone comes into the news, you know for the sad reason that they've passed away or uh or yeah, I don't know for the the bad reason that they've done something untoward and been arrested for it or something <laughs> like whatever uh it it does seem to like uh throw because people are interested in it, you know the algorithmically driven um Online services will throw a lot of content about that person uh, at you all the time. And so, like, I watched a lot of Betty White on Carson and, you know, they were great. Like, they, they were sort of super great. And they had a similar, they had a similar thing. And here, I guess I'll step into trying to articulate the, the uniqueness of, of Betty White, but they, they, they both had like a, a sort of the grounding of Midwestern solidity, you know, with a, with a sort of devilish streak, you know, mm-hmm. um, Betty Waite certainly had that and, and Carson also, uh, like, had a, I, I mean, I won't say a mean streak. I, I, I mean, more like a twick, a, a jester, a trickster kind of, mm-hmm. uh, kind of streak. And it, it, that seemed to be something that, you know, whether she was playing the Dizzy character in, in the golden, uh, the golden verse or whether she was playing the, uh, the loose character in Mary Tyler Moore or like a lot, a lot of stuff that, a lot of stuff that she did. There was always, there was always a sense of like, kind of a hold back, you know, that was, um, she could imply the, she could imply the thing that she was thinking, uh, without, without always having to say it, which is a, a real gift as a performer, as a comic performer, certainly.
1: Right, right, right. Cause yeah, I think sampling her work, it's not like she had a specific character type that she did. Which is counterintuitive. I think people, when they think of Betty White, if they haven't gone through and looked through her work, they would assume that she has one type of character that she always plays because everybody thinks about her from the Golden Girls. Right. Even if you watched so so for this episode, I watched an episode of Betty White's very first show, which was also the first sitcom produced by a woman, uh, although the credits and the history seem to vary. Perhaps she didn't get her name on it as early as I was watching it, called The Life with Elizabeth, right? And she started it. It was an outgrowth of a talk show that she was on spin-off, not outgrowth, it's a spin-off, of a talk show that she was on, right? Um mm-hmm. and I watched an episode of that. I watched an episode of Mary Tyler Moore. So the first one she plays a it's very WandaVision, you know, it's another WandaVision episode if we're thinking it, where she plays a very domestic housewife who is put in domestic housewife situations and is often wrestling with the notion of being scared or timid or trying to trick her husband about something. And we can talk more about that all later, right? Um but I, I did watch that. and It was really interesting. And yeah. then I watched the Mary Tyler Moore show where she's just very sexually open, but not in the way that she talks and acts. Right. Uh-huh. Like she's, she's a, she's somebody who has this comportment of being very down home and kind of uh, a little bit, a little bit old fashioned and uh, wholesome, but mm-hmm. who just really slings it around, which at the time was, was scandalous. And, uh, and then the golden girls, of course, she's, this ironic bumpkin who has this sort of endless array of stories who is just naive and kind of wide eyed. Right. I think famously she was going to be cast as Blanche and then she wasn't uh, she, cause she had played that character in Mary Tyler Moore, the the w- woman who was getting a little bit older and who was just very kind of sexually interested in, in men, mm. which at the time was scandalous, I suppose. And then I watched hot in Cleveland, which, um, which I got through about half of an episode and I just couldn't watch it anymore Uh um, because it's a show that a lot of people love and it's just not my bag where she plays really an elderly person who's suffering. So, okay. So there's so many little, here's the thing, Matt, here's the thing. Oh, the thing is here. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, the function of performance that Betty White is doing Yeah. I, when I was back, when I was more of a comedy director and comedy coach and stuff, I would sometimes talk about um, comedy, functional comedy, is what I it's because I was doing CrossFit at the time, um, where I tended to disagree with theories of comedy that attributed laughter to normative information, hmm. in the sense of well, people laugh because somebody in a social uh, scenario is being uplifted, another person is being put down, the social order is being restored. That's what's funny, right? Or people laugh because they like victimizing other people and feeling good about themselves. Like all these sorts of angles where humor comes from Uh, relationships, specific sorts of relationships that are either micro relationships or macro relationships. And I always disagree with that. Not always. I came to disagree with that over the course of watching and directing a lot of improv and performing in a lot of improv over about a 14-year period. And what I would generally see in terms of getting laughs is that, at least my opinion, and you're, of course, welcome to your own opinion on this, and I don't claim this to be exclusively true, there were functional things that would happen with regards to the way that information was being relayed to the audience that would prompt laughter. And these things could map onto normative phenomena, but they didn't have to. And the particular didn't have to map onto the same normative phenomena for each person who was watching it, like for the performer and the audience, for different members of the audience, for different shows. That's interesting.
0: Uh, can you give? Can you like concretize it in examples? Because I'm 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 fascinated by it, but I, I can't really uh, can't really picture it in my head.
1: Sure. So what I would often try to say is it's a, it's comedy is a circle, right? Drama is an arc. Comedy is a circle. Is
0: it a is it a flat circle? Is it? Uh, a,
1: you know, it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a spheroid. No, oh, it's a, I guess it's a sphere because it's a circle that you can come back from any angle. Ah. Uh, but um, but it's a circle in the sense that the laugh comes at the arriving back. That you right. come back to something and it's either something that you visited before outside the context of the show and you arrive at it um, and, and you recognize it when you see it, right? Or it's something that's introduced to you early in the show and then comes back later. So for example, uh, the most, one of the most basic things that almost always gets a laugh in an improv show if it's done committedly is to make a funny face, then go do something, and then come back and make the same funny face again. Uh, it, it, like, and, and it's a way of, uh, of doing business, right. Of doing like comedy business. Now, granted, I'm not the best comedian person in the world ever at all. And I'm not even in the top million of people. So I, 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 I don't want to say I'm the huge authority on it, but I do feel pretty confident. This is what I would coach you if, if we were working on a piece together, which is what do I want to do when I come out to start an improv scene? Well, you know, like go and, and make some sort of action, make some sort of face or gesture or something. And whatever it is, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but imbue it with some sort of meaning, whatever you want to do. Then if you're figuring out, well, what do I do next? Go do something else. Don't just keep doing it. Go do something else and come back. And the laughter will come when you come back. And, uh, and that it's because you're closing the circle right now when you're doing it, you're going to imbue it with some sort of meaning. It's not just (laughs) peekaboo because, uh, I mean, because it's peekaboo. This is like, ah, oh, I can't see me. Oh, it's Uh me again. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, it's not, that's not, you can, you can also just say, okay, I'm, I am a police officer and I'm befuddled. Right. And then I, and then I get talked to by somebody and I go talk to the person and then I'm very serious and I, and I'm very much act like I know what I'm doing. And then I go back to being befuddled and that's funny because we've, and now it's like, oh, it's because you've critiqued. You know, the, the institutions of law enforcement have you shown the performance of masculinity and you've shown, well, yes, you have, but but what you did is you made a funny face and then you went and did something and then you came back and you made the same funny face again. Sure. Um, and so what I'm saying is not to diminish this, but I'm saying is that what Betty White did in all these different shows that I was watching is that she was doing the same like functional stuff, uh-huh. but it had fundamentally different meanings across the different roles that she was playing, at least as I was understanding it. And I thought that was really interesting how as time went on, more or less the same few tricks that Betty White was pulling as a comedian could be read completely differently uh, in the context of the show, in the context of the time and the audience. Um, and I thought that that was just really, really interesting.
0: Sure. Um, and and like one of the moves was to kind of make a blank expression, to say something unexpected for whatever reason, and then make the blank expression again, right? Yes, was, yes, yes. was one of her moves, you know, like... Yes. Uh, Uh, I'm I'm trying to think of one of the one, I'm trying to think of one of the one liners, but, uh, you know, um, Oh, old Bertha was a woman who pulled the plow. Didn't you have a, didn't you have a tractor Rose in St. Olaf blank expression. If she couldn't pull a plow, how was she going to pull a tractor? (laughs) Blank expression. Yeah, you yes, know, yes. and that's like and or or something that was like ever so slightly racy or off color, right? Or or had an implication that was racy or off color, but then just just kind of like uh followed with the wide eyed, you know, the kind of the return the reset to the default state, you know, that yeah. uh that is kind of like coming full circle or go that creates a circle. It creates a full circle by doing it.
1: Yeah. I describe it as like she would have a secret and she would make a face like she didn't have a secret mm. and then you would find out the secret and then she would still make the face like she didn't have a secret right yeah like say, like responding to how you're saying it and in in life with elizabeth the secret the, i watched this episode it's episode eight of season one of life with elizabeth which is available for free uh well if you have prime it's on amazon prime right now and you can watch it it's it's fascinating and terrible but fascinating it's terrible in the sense that it's the the social expectations of the time are so retrograde but the uh it's a series of sketches and the first sketch she it's called uh learning to drive right learning to drive a car and the idea is her family she and her husband don't have a car mm. and the husband won't buy a car because this is, the, this is the premise the husband won't buy a car because he thinks if he buys a car his wife is going to borrow it all the time and he's not going to get to drive it so why is he going to spend a bunch of money on something he's not going to get to enjoy right which is just a wonderful way to look at a marriage uh it's just yeah. this is great um but there's all sorts of stuff bound up in that right like oh why does she have no none of her own money or property right like why, why is like why is he being so spiteful about like sharing the things that they have in their home or the possessions that they have in their marriage that they might potentially enjoy like why does it not matter where she's going in the car none of this stuff is addressed that's not what this sketch is about but there's a there's a voice of God voiceover, one of those things which makes you think, man, Desi Arnaz really was good at planning shows because he didn't do this. Uh, but it's <laughs> it's yeah. a voice of God voiceover that has a private conversation with Betty White before the sketch starts, where she merely smiles and doesn't talk, where it, the voice guesses and supposes that Betty White in this sketch is going to pretend to be unable to drive a car as in like. To lack the dexterity, the common sense, and the coordination necessary to ever learn to drive a car uh-huh. by infantilizing herself, and in doing this, her husband will become convinced that if he buys the car, he will get to drive it, and then once he buys it, she will drive it uh-huh. <laughs> and and of course, mostly she she doesn't want to take the car from him, she doesn't agree that you know she should have the car or that like she's b- b- desirous of it. she wants the family to have a car, right she's like we should have a car. Um, I would like to drive it. Sure, I'm going to drive it sometimes, but I'm not here to steal it from him. Right. But he's just being a douche by not getting the car. Sure. And so like the whole thing is about her sort of convinced talking him into giving her a mock driving lesson and then her botching everything about the driving lesson. But everything about her sort of like smile to the to the uh, camera while the voice is explaining her plan. She just sort of keeps smiling. She just sort of keeps smiling. And then she goes into the plan. And the whole time she's doing that whole Midwestern, you know, housewife, you know, we all know the Betty White thing, right? The Betty, the Betty White persona that comes out. And and what it was in this case doing is it was trying to encourage the husband to a sense of comfort by being more of what supposedly society, right, might expect of her than, than what she is, Um Which is sort of the opposite of Lucille Ball, who, of course, we talked about last week, her comic characters who are sort of more like what society would expect of her than what the situation demanded. Um, it's Betty White is much more of a you're trapped in here with me kind of actress. <laughs> right? Like that, that's really that was one of the things I came away with it right is that like whatever social situation Betty White is in and you're with her in a sitcom and it's awkward, you're trapped in there with her. She's not trapped in there with you, yeah, <laughs> right? Because uh, she could take the power by overshooting, right? By like ex- doing that exaggerated performance of of not knowing what's going on. Um, anyway. Uh, I know I just ranted for a little while about this. No, I, I get it. There's, let me
0: let me give another let me give another example from so, yeah. from something that I watched that we can you know that I think fits the I think fits the pattern. Definitely a uh, you're trapped in here with me sort of moment. Um, she uh, she uh, is in Golden Palace. She's it's the pilot of Golden Palace, uh, with, uh, which we watched. I hadn't, I hadn't watched a lot. I've watched some. Um, uh, I've watched some. Uh, 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 YouTube clips of, of Golden Palace. They, they apparently solved racism, uh, back in the eighties. Um, through, oh, they should have, uh, more people should watch Golden Palace. Yeah, really. Through, through, the medium of, uh, of Don Cheadle. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, hey, uh, but, uh, you know, um, and, uh, th- so they, they've come to the, to the hotel that they move into after B. Arthur uh, wanted to leave the show. You know, they, they spent a couple of years doing a version of it where they, like, they moved out of their house and uh, bought a hotel and sort of operated it together with, uh, Don Cheadle as the, the, um, the manager and Cheech Marin as the cook. In the uh, in the kitchen, working with Sophia um, while she's trying to to cook Italian food, and it's you know um, high jinks high jinks ensue. And so in the pilot, they're you know working at the hotel for the first time. And so the the scene is that Betty White uh, it's a late night and Betty White is alone at the at the desk, and someone comes up to her uh, in a ski mask and uh, tries to rob her. You know where's the where's the hotel safe? He's, he's wearing a uh, you know balaclava helmet um, and uh, you know, and, and Betty White looks at him and says, wow, aren't you hot in that thing? <laughs> we used to wear those in Minnesota, but it was below zero. Tell me something. Is this your first time to Miami? And through this sort of, you know, through this kind of like guileless, wide-eyed, manages to to convince the guy to, uh, to go away. And... Um, like to go find a different target to, to rob. Uh, and then she picks up the phone and makes a, uh, makes a phone call, uh, and says, Oh, hello. This is, uh, the, uh this is Rose Nyland at the, the, uh, Golden Palace, Golden Palace Hotel. Uh, I'd like to report a, um, you know, a man, a Caucasian man, about 510, maybe about 180 pounds and like proceeds to give this like super detailed, um, you know, police style description of this person, you know, uh, Brandishing a 357 Magnum or, you know, with all the, with all the, all the details and things like this. And And she says at the end, oh, who is this? Oh, well, just a concerned citizen who isn't as dumb as everyone thinks she is. And mm. there's, and there's applause on the soundtrack, either made by the studio audience or, or, you know, uh, included later with the, uh, with the laugh track, right? Uh, who isn't as dumb as everyone thinks she is. And then there's a kicker, which is that what? Oh, this is 411. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And then and then like a really good kicker to the kicker. Could you tell me the number to 911? <laughs> and that's and that's like sort of I I love a lot about that. It, it because like it does it goes at a lot of things. It goes at at sort of a, a lot of our ideas about empowerment, you know, like it, and it really you can see the performer um sort of doing something and like taking taking satisfaction in thwarting expectations once and then thwarting them again yeah. uh you know by by like oh no she is dumb after all ha <laughs> <laughs> ha <laughs> <laughs> like you all thought you know you all thought that that you were going to have the opportunity to sort of feel superior somehow because your your um you know, I don't know your uh, your ideas about, you know, what is or isn't demeaning for this character. You know, we're, we're going to be turned on their heads and she was going to uh, she was going to emerge victorious. And then after the applause, you know, I feel like the applause from the audience is an important thing. She's like, no, hey, hey, uh, jokes on you. I- I'm a comedian. I'm in this to to make yeah. people laugh. Yeah, like yeah. and that is my that's my goal and that's my that's my empowerment and he, you know here's a joke about how roses how roses ditzy and dumb. Yeah. What what's the number for 911? You're yeah. welcome
1: America. <laughs> that's the thing I feel like never not never but I didn't hear talked about so much. People felt so kindly about Betty White because she was so nice. Right. But her her skill wasn't being nice. Her skill was being funny. And and but being nice was part of her her gag her shtick right Um, uh, which is i mean it's great she was very nice that's true and i think people connected with that but i wonder if if people watched more of her they would see how much was under the niceness and how many layers of being a performer that that becomes much more apparent in hot in cleveland where you know she's in her late 80s and early 90s and uh her character is much more of a i'm just going to say what's on my mind because i'm old kind of gag sure which is the thing that people sort of say the Golden Girls is about, but not really, because it's really just women are allowed to talk in private, <laughs> right. right? But but here we're on the case where like everybody's frontal lobe is atrophying, and so all of the oh, old terrible. people just always say cruel things to each other and aren't really fully aware of it. Um, and uh, and in that sense, it's really obvious that she's there to make jokes, and and she's just I'm pulling off the joke. I'm pulling off the joke because she can no longer really keep up her her very pretty complicated shtick. That she doesn't did in so many of her other roles yeah um because she's she's kind of physically struggling a little bit when she's 90 right and on and on a camera a three camera sitcom yeah right like uh which, yeah that's that sort has not of been invented yet when she was nominated for her first emmy right like um anyway sorry i, I get agitated yeah that's
0: a good point that yeah. the three camera sitcom like a it is the it is that television format which is perhaps you know the most strenuous i mean not not it's not a uh america gladiators i guess you know right, but right, like right. um of the you know of the situation comedy formats it is like it is it's strenuous it's like doing uh it's like doing a play in front of an audience and like the yeah. uh, the fact that a lot of them are shot in front of an audience which kind of gives them an energy you know gives them a certain gives them a certain thing like the 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 she knew she knew kind of the value i think of like to, of turning out you know of like just lo- yeah. s- looking straight at the audience and like this was something actually in being the ricardos from last week where you know the uh, as Uh, as, um, Lucy, Nicole Kidman would just sometimes more than I even remember Lucille Ball doing in the I Love Lucy show would like seem to just look out, just do a take flat out to the audience, uh, you know, f- uh, flat referring to the kind of the angle, the angle of her body. I guess that's like a little bit of jargon where, like, uh you you yeah. say, normally you I, say. I just
1: realized what I was describing was comic takes as if I'd invented them. I feel like an idiot. <laughs> but when you're coming at it from the standpoint of like long form improv, a comic take can feel so far away from the language you're using to describe what you're doing. But anyway, sorry,
0: continue. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, it's, it's, uh, well, I, I think actually the function of the take is, is interesting. Like that's, yeah. that's because what, what it does, you know, uh, what, what it does is kind of inclusive. It is kind of nice, right? In, in a weird way, it is kind of like pro social that like the, the, you bring people, you bring the audience in on the joke, but like, so like the, the idea that like, you know, normally, in, in our ideas about like 20th century psychologically realistic acting, for which see our podcast about 20th century psychologically realistic acting. Um, you think of the, the, you know, the characters as, as living in their own world and not really, um, not really noticing, uh, the audience. Um, this, this illusion is ruined by, uh, the self-consciousness of actors of inexperienced actors, which is why, um, so much acting training looks so self-indulgent. Uh, it's trying to cure you of the self-consciousness that, um, Is, is sort of ruining the, ruining the effect. And so if you're doing the thing that they make fun of in like the fame movie where you're like just really like paying super attention to how you eat a bowl of spaghetti, um, like and just. you know, like, Oh, this is how you lift the, you know, the, it's, yeah. it's practice in two ways. One in kind of observing yourself, observing your own behavior and knowing, knowing what it's like when you're, when you're not self-conscious. But the other thing is, is actually kind of just getting into your own head and like, like uh, disregarding what other people think, which is like eat your damn spaghetti. That's what other people think. So, so, you know, that, uh, you know, you think of the, the imaginary fourth wall between the audience and the, uh the audience and the actors. Well, Well, you know, in the uh, in the um, taken to the extreme, you wouldn't in the extreme case of that, you you wouldn't like look you wouldn't look out at all like your back would be to the audience, you know, 50 percent of the time at least. And that's not dramatic. So, you know, we talk about cheating out like and, you know, the angle, angle yourself out. And so in saying like flat out to the audience, it's. It's that sort of comic take, which completely, it's not even, uh, uh, it's not even notionally an expression of surprise that belongs to the, you know, that belongs to the, um, the world of the, the, of the kind of notional reality of the scene. It's an expression of surprise that like is shared, uh, you know, between the, um, is shared between the performer and the, uh, the performer and the audience and that like it to see, you know, um, uh, Nicole Kidman is Lucy doing doing a lot of that, a lot of that like like big wide open mouth, you know, um, uh, takes out to the audience when Ricky does something or or whatever. Like that's oh yeah, that's 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 really a style. And I I had a you know when I studied clown a little bit, I had a teacher um, describe that as. Um, share that share whatever, whatever the experience you have, like have an experience and then like immediately, immediately turn to the audience and share that, uh, share whatever happened with the audience. If you have a great victory, turn out and like celebrate, like rub their noses (laughs) in it. You know, if you have a, if you have a humiliating defeat, get super vulnerable, turn out and like share, share it. Um, share it with, uh, with the audience. I mean, they, people love that. Like that's, that's the, the, uh, the, um, you know, the, that's the, uh, the whole thing about clown. You celebrate your failures in public and that's, and, uh, so that, that, and I think it's, it's, there is a much more sophisticated sort of, there's a much more sophisticated, Take on it that, uh, Betty White does. And I'm glad that you kind of identify it as complex because it, you know, it seems to me she manages to kind of look straight at the audience without looking at them, you know, yeah. without, without breaking the fourth wall in a cheesy way, you know, the way of, of Nicole Kidman kind of imitating Lucy, like, like, uh, <gasps> You know, big old gasp and like, uh, you know, wide eyes and like t- turn out to the audience with a surprised expression. She manages to do it. She manages to do a take without, you know, without necessarily like, uh, highlighting it and underlining it. And it's, I, I don't know. It's, it's really, it's really skillful. And like the thing I guess I would notice is not that she's maybe lost a step in her late eighties or nineties, but that like the old, the, the skills are so strong, you know, the training, the Olympic level of yeah training is so strong you know that even uh you know even at an advanced age uh you know far past her physical prime she's still got the she's still got the instincts
1: yeah for sure for sure and also she might might just be a different character too i i don't even i think there's the i mean this issue of kind of ironic betty white becoming more of a cell than earnest betty white who was also ironic <laughs> and right. so that's which which is the thing that gets a little bit lost on uh, at least in my sense of it, right, is is uh, that she was always being ironic, but she was being mid- this Midwestern wholesome sort of ironic uh, where the mask was there. And, yeah, I guess looking looking right at you, but with a mask so that you don't really see what's going on or just your, her eyes kind of sliding off of you. Like she's looking at the audience, but then she's just sort of drifting and she's looking at something else. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's um, uh, I watched the episode of Mary Tyler Moore where. It is revealed spoilers, I guess, for <laughs> who's this, the season, season four, season six. There's a lot of episodes of Mary Tyler Moore, man. Holy crud. Oh. Betty White doesn't show up on the show till the season four, I think, and, and is thought of as a fixture. Um, but uh, but and by the way, Mary Tyler Moore is a great show. Huh. Uh, I had never really watched it much before. I think I watched it on Nick at Night a little bit when I was much younger. Never to really appreciate it. They're really good. I mean, that's not that's like the least shocking take in the world, but like. I know that it's going to be retrograde in the sense that it's from its time period. And so a lot of the social jokes are not going to work, uh, the way that they would then, uh, on people now, but man, they're good. They are so good. Mary Tyler Moore is so good, uh-huh. um, at, at being on a sitcom and at performing. Oh my goodness. Um, and, uh, and I watched this episode where Lou Grant, right. And that's, is that, is that Ed Asner is Lou Grant or oh,
0: interesting. Luke, I'll
1: fact check. Who is Lou Grant? Um, I feel like I should know who Lou Grant is played by um because whoever it was this is when the yeah it's, it's Ed Asner um and uh, he, he of elf right um and uh but when he was much younger and still looked old <laughs> um but uh it's an episode where Ed Asner sleeps with Betty White and they work at the same TV station mm. and uh, Betty White is this sort of like bubbly you know midwestern homebody but apparently has a voracious sexual appetite and everybody makes fun of her for it behind her back and uh and also thinks of her as sort of insipid and difficult to deal with but also there's an old school sexual mores to the show which was very interesting in this episode where lou grant didn't want everybody to know that he had slept with uh nevins and and nevins or whatever betty white's name is she's betty white um and he didn't want people to know that they they had had too much to drink and had slept with her that he wanted it to be a one-time thing that he didn't do again but that he also was like well now is she going to be upset if i don't offer to marry her right
0: (laughs) Uh like
1: wow right uh betty white you know And so he's like he makes Mary Tyler Moore promise not to tell anybody. And there's all this drama about his sort of personal stakes. And you have the sense that it's like he's really wrestling with this man. Um, And Mary Tyler Moore kind of tells her friend who's obviously gay, but in the show isn't, I guess. Right. Um, uh, In a sort of dish session because they they're they talk about everything. And also because you never should tell a coworker stuff like that and expect them to not tell anybody. It's going to get out. Right. And That's the joke. And then, and then Betty White would just dance in and out of every scene, and the gag was like Betty White was just infatuated with Lou Grant in this in this episode, just loved him, right? She'd kiss him on the forehead. She she would give him back the articles of clothing that he left in uh, her house. Right. And she would come in and and for every ounce of pathos and discomfort and awkwardness that Lou Grant brought to the scene, Betty White just wafted over it with this just blessed air, that smile of hers mm. where she totally she had a secret. You know, I have a secret. You don't think I have a secret, but I do. Here's the secret. Here's your overcoat. Here's your socks. I'm just going to go out of here like I didn't say anything to anybody. Um, and the gag was that Ted, the buffoon, uh, never figured it out. Right. He's like. uh Man, I've heard she had a new boyfriend. He's going to be real mad when he finds out that uh, that she's that nice to you. <laughs> it's like he's going to beat you up, um, that kind of thing. But oh, anyway, yeah. um, but just just the idea of of her kind of coming into the scene or the scene coming into her and her doing that, that play out to the audience of she's just so blissful and and the situation is so bad <laughs> that she's blissful about that. She really is sort of the villain uh but she's this like she's this like was ray of sunshine villain uh in the episode um and and it was it was uh yeah, the technique was just so great, even just the staging and the way they would separate the people on different sides of the room um it was just so good it was just so good anyway i got I got taken a little bit I will mention that she she quotes ernest dowson are you familiar with ernest dowson no sir i am not i I am not familiar with ernest dowson this is a late 19th century early 20th century poet that uh that that uh he was and a novelist and a short story writer uh associated with
0: the decadent movement so oscar that is to say oscar wilde ask
1: yeah okay that's what that is great that makes sense so yeah so she so here she is the sort of. Uh, Midwestern homebody who has, you know, banged this dude at work and is like uh, acting like it's this blissful, idyllic, Oscar Wilde-esque, you know, romance and, and kind of uh, uh, and she quotes it. It's like it's it's all about uh, it's with the, the poem is non sum qualis boni sub regno cinere. And it's got lines that like, last night, I yesterday night, betwixt her lips and mine, there fell thy shadow. Right, Thy breath was shed upon my soul between the kisses and the wine. And Luke Grant's like, meh. <laughs> <And> it's, <just, laughs> it's just so funny. It's just so good. And, and it's so different from her doing the same thing, but the thing that she's hiding is – well, I'm I have part of an elaborate plan to trick my husband into buying a car, right? Which is like Betty White in the '50s is is like, ha ha! I'm just a little girl. I don't know anything. This way, I get what I want, right? And um, she actually has a great conversation with uh, the boss character and the dinner with the boss, where where the whole shtick of that sketch is that uh, he's got a toupee that looks bad, and the husband tells Betty White not to mention the toupee. Because he's worried he's gonna get fired if the boss is kind of confronted with the reality that she obviously knows that his hair is fake. Mm. And then it's the classic thing where she just keeps it's like that sketch that scene from Wayne's World with the with uh, Kevin Pollock, I think it is, where you know the guy has a glass eye and so everything out of their mouth is about, you know, eyes, right? You know, oh, I gotta cross the T's and dot the lowercase J's. And he just stares at him, right? <laughs> um but it's all like, oh yeah, we get it from our butcher, oh hair. I mean, O'Sullivan, (laughs) like, and at the end of it, she says, look, uh, everybody's insecure about something and what you should, we should just laugh about it. And that way you take away its power over you. Mm. Right. And so, you know, when he calls you an egghead, laugh at it. Right. When somebody calls you an egghead, laugh at it. And then they all go around the table and they all make fun of each other. And then there's the big bit of like, Ha ha! It's so funny. And that wasn't funny. That insult was bad. <laughs> like, like now you're in trouble. And they had that sort of modulation of things going in and out like that. Um, but, uh, but, but just that 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 ability to strip the moment of its ability to threaten you by maintaining a sunny disposition about it is so clutch to so much of what Betty White is doing, being funny. Because I think when something is personally threatening, you're not going to find it funny as mm-hmm. much. Um, and Wait, so yeah. what well, we should talk about the golden girls episode. We
0: watched, maybe. I mean, I yeah know, so that, that's a little, that's a little bit. I mean, it's interesting that, that like that, because that gets one, one of the, the strengths I think she had, or one of the ways in which she, she was sort of surprising as an actress, um, not just as a comic performer, but as an actress was that like, she had other gears, uh, yeah. also, right. Like, and so one of the, like the famous, not from something we watched, but one of the famous things in, uh, in the Golden Girls is the kind of, she does a, her character Rose does a, um, a conversation does a speech to her dead husband and she's like sitting at the dinner table. I I think if memory serves, it's like she's deciding whether or not to move in with Blanche, uh, in the house. And she like, she sort of talks to, to him in a, in, you know, the way, if you've lost someone, sometimes you just talk to them, you know, sometimes you just find yourself doing it and, you know, play plays it there. There are jokes in it, but it's, it's played straight. Uh, in in that like it's not that this person is crazy, it's not that that they're you know eccentric it's that that she's grief- grief stricken and like the sort of coming up coming up against one, one of the things about that like I have a secret mentality is that you can kind of you can kind of like engineer situations you know you can kind of like maybe manipulate is too ungenerous a way to put it but you can you can kind of manipulate and bring about outcomes um you can kind of make things things happen and you can get people to say yes like yes you can make fun of my uh yes you can make fun of my bald my bald head when they call me egghead you know and we can all make fun of each other right that's you can you can sort of get to yes uh but life sometimes throws at you the final no uh and and kind of coming up against that, um, she managed to be, I think, really affecting, like in bringing, in bringing this character, uh, and bringing this character, uh, forward, you know, in the, in, in these things. And that, like, um, you know, the, the one that we watched, the episode, I think it's called 72 hours. Um, the, the plot, uh, I mean, I don't know. Is it, is it even the, the A plot really? Because the A plot seems to be that, that uh, Dorothy is throwing a fundraiser <laughs> yes. for for uh, wetlands preservation yes. and, and no one wants to like participate no one wants to go to her fundraiser <laughs> because it's such a, a boring it's a god-awful <laughs> boring topic <laughs> wetlands preservation you call them? swamps.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So call
0: Save the swamps. Yeah, Save exactly. Swamp. Wetlands was a good rebrand on the part yeah. of whoever, <laughs> yeah, whoever renamed that, that ecosystem. And in the course of this, uh, Betty White's character Rose finds out that, that she received a blood transfusion when she had a procedure in the hospital some, sometime earlier. And, uh, they suspect that the, the blood uh, that she was transfused with might have had HIV, um, antibodies in it. And that's, that's, uh, so she needs to come in and have an HIV test. And that's like, you know, I, I, I feel like the, the and, the, and then like a lot sort of stems from this. So she is, she doesn't know whether she's sick or not. That's the, the kind of the yeah. main source of, of, uh, of tension in the episode. I don't know. Did you feel like Pete that it was a departure for a Golden Girls episode or did, was it uh, exactly what you expected? What surprised you? It felt you about
1: like it? a very special episode. <laughs> sure i mean it was it was there was enough golden girls ishness in it that it didn't feel too off right um it rose doesn't usually get to
0: participate in that way
1: i think but you've watched more golden girls than i have
0: No, yeah to, she doesn't get to sort of she doesn't get to sort of emote right like yeah I, as you say she kind of floats at a particular I, I i think it was great that you described her as like floating in and out of the various scenes and she kind of does that she maintains altitude you know and like this is one that really grounds her that really sort of sort of brings her down to earth and the way that i i mean i think in in um uh, you know, plainer terms, what happens is that she's sort of, she is dealing with more basic emotions, right. Then, then, uh, you know, like, uh, mostly fear, you know, mostly terror, right. Like then, then, uh, she usually is. And that's, um, you know, how she does that is, is, and the, the kind of the various ways, all the different strategies, she does all the, Uh, she does a lot of the Kubler Ross stages, right? There's one that's, you know, there's a a sequence that's just straight denial. There's one where she's sort of very afraid. There's one where she's very angry. There's one where she is sort of bargaining with it. Uh, you know, and, and really it's, it's Blanche in this episode who, who is the voice of liberal Hollywood, you know, like kind of delivering the method, which is honestly a clever thing. Like, you know, put the, put the sermon in the, in the mouth of the loose woman and then, uh, all of a sudden, it doesn't sound like preaching. Um, it doesn't sound like preaching so much, but the yeah, I don't know the 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 golden girls ishness of it kind of has to do with like despite their ribbing and whatever, how they like all come to realize that the most important thing that they can do is support their friend despite their you know anxiety about HIV and the you know poor understanding of it at the time and the stigma associated with it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: I would also suggest that the Golden Girls-ishness of the episode and the fact that it is Rose who is scared that she has HIV allows the show to dramatize fairly, fairly directly a bunch of the different sorts of what we would now call cruel and unnecessary uh, social reactions to the prospect of HIV. Right. Right. Um, Which were – I mean you and I are old enough to remember when this was a a thing that was – you know, people. Do you get AIDS from a toilet seat? Isn't just a joke.
0: No, no, no. Right? It's this not, is yeah. something that
1: people were actually scared of, and it's been. It's actually. I don't think it's funny. Haha. But it's been really one of the things. And this is a very brief sidetrack. I don't want to go down this road, but so maybe I shouldn't have just brought it up. But it's really interesting the contrast between the emotional journey that people had to go on to come to terms with the HIV epidemic, and the emotional journey that people have to go on to come to terms with COVID because they run in almost exactly opposite directions. Hmm which is like the no, don't worry about it. You're not the one who's going to get it from all of these casual things to like, no, like you need to worry about this. You could get it from a whole bunch of
0: casual things. Yeah. You don't like, and, and if don't you get yeah, it. Don't, don't. Then
1: you're not the one who's going to suffer necessarily. You could pass it to somebody else. That right. Thing, right. Uh, but it's interesting how the dynamics there's a, there almost feels like, like, like so- the society has been shaped in certain ways by the pandemics that happen. And I think that's always the case. Um, and, uh, And it's interesting to look at an episode that's very, very direct about how HIV was shaping, how the AIDS epidemic was shaping the culture. I I love the lines back and forth between Rose and Blanche, which are super golden girlsy, but also very brutal, uh, where I think Rose is, you know, thinking, well, you know, Thinking about you and me, you know, uh, I didn't think I was going to be the one that would get it, right?
0: Right, yeah. You, you, you've, what she <laughs> you said, you slept with, slept with, men. with, well, she, it's, it's, uh, you've slept with hundreds of men. Yeah. Right? And then she just walks out and she just drops that as though it's actually great Betty Whiteism as you described before. Like she's like, well, you've slept with hundreds of men wide-eyed expression and she exits <laughs> Like she walks out <laughs> she walks out the door and room McClanahan has to follow her into the next room to be like hold on like getting sick is not a is not a sign of moral failing getting sick yeah. is something that just happens to you right yeah. which is just the you know uh, she like thing.
1: she apologizes to Blanche for calling her a slut by saying oh no I just mean I'm a good
0: person <laughs> <laughs> Right. And, and that's so funny. It's so dark. Yeah. Oh. Um, But that, you know, it is, it is good. And it, it, I mean, it's good. And it's, it's, that's the sort of the bargaining stage, right? Like that's the like, well, no, I, I shouldn't have this because I've done the good things, you know, I've done like, yeah. I don't, because I don't deserve it. The bad thing shouldn't happen to me. Like the, I, I shouldn't suffer the loss because I don't deserve it. Um, and all of this rationalization about like, why, you know, uh, about why that's the case. And it's, you know, it's interesting. Uh, A lot of the reactions are put in the, are, are put in the mouth of Sophia, you know, the Estelle Getty character, um, who, who sort of has that thing that you were talking about on Hot in Cleveland, where they just she just says says what she thinks oh, without yeah, a lot yeah. of. She's
1: the one with frontal lobe damage.
0: Yeah, without with <laughs> atrophy, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, without a you know without a lot of filter, like and like you know don't use my coffee cup or like I don't want to use the same I don't want to use the same toilet seat or something something like yeah. that, like treating people as though they had a you know as though they had a, a like a mi- miasma of contagion that extended to every interaction. Yeah. Uh, every interaction with them and that's you know it is it is interesting and in that like it's it's interesting to see it as a historical artifact, but it's also interesting to see it identified as an overreaction at the time, you know? Yeah. Um, and not only an overreaction, like by, by staging it in a, a group of friends, a group of kind of roommates or sort of quasi sisters or qua- in a quasi family, you know, you see those, those reactions as actually being kind of a failure of, of the loving support that we owe one another as a society. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not underlined too much, uh, th- that part of it, but like the, the. The scene where the, the three women who aren't Rose are sitting around the table and talking like, Hey, the most important thing we need to do. She's getting her results in a couple hours. The most important thing we need to do is support her and love her no yeah. matter what happens. And then Estelle Getty says, you know what? Give me that mug. The one that she's, she's printed the, the big R on the scarlet R, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, that she's pray give, give me that mug. And she, she cheers with them and, and, uh, you know, uses that mug to drink her coffee. And that's, that's, uh, interesting to, to sort of see that at a time and liberal Hollywood, Pete, another, another artifact of liberal (laughs) Hollywood, the golden girls, you know, the, the, a collective.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What is, isn't there a scene where Estelle Getty buys her condoms? Is that, no, what? No, just Dorothy. There's what's the condom scene from the episode? I'm forgetting the condoms. I I know there was a very funny condom scene.
0: Yeah. Well, the, she gives them, uh, she gives them to Dorothy. She's freaked yes, out. Me, she's Dorothy. <laughs> yeah, she's freaked out. Estelle Getty gets condoms that when they go to the hospital, they all go to the, yeah. they all go everywhere together because, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> the ship's the best when the four of them are, are doing, so they do inappropriate things together, like go in to see the doctor and speak to the doctor together. Um, but, uh, yeah, in, and, uh, Estelle Getty has bought Dorothy condoms and she, uh, and Dor- Dorothy says, um, You know, uh, Dorothy, who is in the show, was a retired teacher, school teacher. Yeah. You know, um, Says, uh, does a little preaching and says, well, God, kids need to, uh, parents need to talk to their kids about this. Kids don't know, don't get, you know, straightforward information about this from their parents. And parents should just get over, you should get over your awkwardness, your embarrassment in the name of, of taking care of your child. And, and, uh, Estelle Getty says, well, I told you about the birds and the bees. And, and she said, yeah, you, uh, mom, you told me that, uh, don't ever let a boy touch your, you know what? And, uh, <laughs> and you even spelled out what? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, then Estelle Getty reveals that in the hospital, she's gone to get some condoms because, you know, her, her daughter has a dating life. Um, the, yeah, the same age as the, as the, the women in the reboot of Sex in the City are, you know, as a, oh, yeah. a you know, that's, uh, they, it's not, it's not a new phenomenon that, uh, you can talk about the, the sex lives of women of that age, uh, of women in their sixties, the, or fifties or sixties. And then, and, uh, and Estelle Getty hands Dorothy, uh, I'm, using the the I'm mixing my mix my terms it's still getting hands. B Arthur the uh the little paper bag of condoms and says here these are to protect you you know you take them and uh tell the boy to put him on his you know w h a t <laughs> and that's uh you know I don't know it was, a, it was a funny uh funny little bit you know you know you know w h a t <laughs>
1: So yes, it was very it was it was appropriately golden Girly. It was one of those rare situations where the premise of the show was actually really suitable for this very special episode, where it doesn't necessarily feel like an interruption per se. But it was interesting to see Betty White's uh, mask cover a different sort of uh, what undoes I guess what social fact about her or, yeah. or or care or vulnerability, a different sort of thought. Um,
0: well, it's a secret. Uh, it's a secret that she doesn't want.
1: You know. Yes, yes,
0: yes. Right, yes. and that's that's the uh, the secrets are great that when you want them. But if you get a if you get a secret that you don't want, that's that's sort of traumatic. Um, yeah,
1: that's true. That's true.
0: That's almost the, the definition.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's almost the definition of trauma. That's yeah. true. That's um,
0: true. Being forced um, to keep a, a secret that you don't want. Well, the the you know this has been a good um, this has been a good uh, kind of overview as as you say a sort of sampler platter of of the career of betty white and 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 an attempt i guess to sort of to talk in our way about what made her special you know and i'm I'm sure there are a lot of people who can talk in different ways about what what made her special and that's i don't know that that is something that that is true of i think the people who um that that people can kind of people can kind of make them your own, you know, you can, you can sort of bring them into your, into your life, into your own kind of head your own head pantheon, uh, in, in a particular way. And I wonder if there isn't something about the kind of the blankness of the take, you know, about, I wonder if there isn't something, um, about the, the, the capacity of certain performers to portray a character, but with, with room. You know, to be filled up, to be, to, to be projected upon, mm-hmm. you know, that, that is common to a lot of sort of beloved, uh, to a lot of beloved performers, you know, that, that, you know, whose, whose work we, we maybe don't even appreciate when we have it, but the, you know, the loss of whom we feel really acutely, um, when it happens because they, they, uh, we, we realized that they had been, not only they'd been Giving us something, but they've been holding something for us they've been holding yeah. on to something for us mm-hmm. and uh you know when when life gives you the final no and and they are forced uh to put it down um the the that that is sort of one loss one one source of the of the loss that we yeah. feel when we lose, when we lose someone, not, not just, and you know, not just lose someone, we lose a performer who has meant something to us, which, yeah. you know, we've explored before on the podcast and which is really a, a, a you know, um, particular phenomenon.
1: Yeah. I think you're describing Bob Saget self-consciously. Also, <laughs> right?
0: Like, Bob Saget's like secret Saget was there. that he he was a fundamentally decent guy. I think yes. like that was his you know that was his secret was that he was you know um, sort of a, uh, sort of a child. Inside, he, was, he was an ice cream
1: sandwich of decency. Yeah, exactly. Like you you were looking at it from the top and you saw the fake decency, uh-huh. and then under that was all the ribaldry and the <laughs> dirty mind and the dirty jokes and stuff, and then under that was the bottom part of the sandwich of the actual decency.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> it's it's funny now that an hour in right when when it's time to wrap up you bring up Bob Saget another you know beloved sitcom performer who who died recently and that like I w- I was uh, yeah, I was sort of thinking about this with him and I, to, to, to me, I guess it connects with him with childishness, child, not childishness. Well, the Child-like. child, the, yeah, but also childishness. The childishness yes. connects with childlikeness, which is okay. the only good way to have childishness because childishness that does not connect to child, <laughs> childlikeness is not good. It is a bad scene. <laughs> um, but yes. the, you know, the sort of childlikeness, I, I, um, Mark Maron played, uh, replayed an interview, we posted an interview that he had done on the WTF show with with uh Bob Saget um and he talked about how like he liked to do all the dirty humor because he liked to say words that his parents would him, wouldn't let him say as a child. (laughs) And that's like, that's so different from the, the that's so different from Andrew Dice clay or something like that. You know, that that's so different from that I don't know why I, I pick him. Maybe, maybe he doesn't necessarily deserve to be put on the other end of that continuum, but you can, you know that there, there is, uh, Dirty comedy stand-up comedy that's done with an air of menace, you know, and mm-hmm. like the the uh, the thing about Bob Saget was that he seemed to be doing it with the air of someone who is delighted to be getting away with something mm. um, with you anyway. Yeah. Sorry, no, that, totally you agree. you just uncorked that particular bottle and I had to pour out the thought,
1: man, you know, whatever happened to predictability, right? <laughs>
0: That's uh, yeah. I mean, um, well, you know, uh, I I just like Pete. I see overthinking everywhere I look,
1: <laughs> and a hand to hold on to. I suppose. <laughs> like which which line from the Full House theme song is going to be the button for a podcast? Because they all can be, right? <laughs> everywhere you look, everywhere you look,
0: <laughs> everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> there's a heart.
1: There's a heart. <laughs> hand to hold a hand to hold on to. Yeah. <laughs> It's we just true. ended three different podcast episodes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a, wow. That's a, that's incredible. Well, um, Hey, uh, Godspeed Betty White. Godspeed Bob Sackett. I'm yeah. sorry. didn't, didn't mean to give Bob Sackett short shrift by only bringing him up, but he came up. Wait, am, I, am
1: I missing in? Am I getting confused? Did I just go to a different sitcom theme? No. Hold on a minute. Oh no, that's the
0: right one. Yeah, I right? happen to the milkman, the paperboy, even
1: David. Yeah. Uh, yes. So, are you what you're saying is that when you're lost out there and you're all alone, a light is waiting to carry you
0: home? Well, I I hope sincerely that uh, a light was waiting to carry uh, Bob Saget and Betty White home, and uh, you know that they are um, uh, that they're happy there in that golden palace mm-hmm. in uh, in the sky. All right well thanks for listening. Pete, thanks for talking with me. We'll be back next week with more overthinking It podcast. Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve <laughs>